Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lichtenstein. This week's topic will be mental health and halacha. When can you be Michal Shabbos for someone who is depressed, suicidal, etc.? Can you use Zoom for very lonely older people stuck in a nursing home in a hospital? Can you give someone with eating disorders food on Yom Kippur, Tishabav? Is it Lashon Hara to talk to a therapist? You know the story, they say these three Jewish mothers are talking. One says, my son, he loves me so much, my birthday every year he gets me a car. The next one says, my son loves me so much, every year my birthday takes me to Eretz Yisrael. The third one says, my son loves me so much, every week he pays somebody $350 for an hour just to talk about his mother. So, <laughs> is it Lashon Hara? Is, the, is a therapist allowed to listen? And are you allowed to talk? You're in pain. Are you allowed to talk to the therapist? What about being Mishana Mitzvahs for somebody who has OCD? We're going to have on uh, from Los Angeles, Rabbi Dr. David Fox. He's, according to Dr. Pelkowitz, the world expert in mental health and halacha. Reb Nissen Karelitz's Bezdin used, uses him. Havdol Benachayim Benachayim. You have Rav Shach used him. Um, Rabbi Yashiv, Rabbi Shleim Zalman to consult with, etc. The Batidinim in Eretz Yisrael, he's constantly there consulting with them. And He's going to speak about the more the bigger topics like the Veltshilas. You know, somebody who's mentally infirm, can they give a get? Can't they give a get? Is if they sign a, a will, is it, you know, is it Chalana, what's called a Shaita? For more common, you know, garden variety Shilas, we're going to have from Lakewood, New Jersey, Rav Moshe Rotberg. He's a Rav, he's a therapist, and he's going to be speaking about topics, you know, the more mundane topics should make for a fascinating halachic program. Next week's topic is, is there life after divorce? Divorce in halacha, and there are so many shilas that come after divorce. Custody shilas, adina debachus adina shilas, um, lashin hara shilas, etc. Should make for a very interesting program too. Now here's some voicemails we got this week that I thought are worth listening to. Hi, a question for David about with OK. I was wondering, would you drink OK oranges? Uh, OK gives Hashgach on Tropicana. I was wondering what your opinion on it was. So this is an interesting, Shiloh. Would I drink orange juice with the OK Hersha? In other words, what's he discussing? We had on, for already two weeks, we had on the scandal in Manalapan where they fed tray for close to 18 years. We don't know how many. It could be could be 100,000, it could be 10,000, it could be one up to one and a half million meals and that 18 years came out of that place. Matama, most of New Jersey. So he's asking, could would you eat it? So I actually went and I called a few other hachsherim. But to me, it's pasha. I mean, orange juice doesn't eat a hachsher. Unless you're an Eretz Yisrael in which they're using Jaffa oranges. Orange juice does not. I would eat, drink orange juice without any hachsher. So certainly the okay hersha now. So I would use the okay hersha for orange juice because it doesn't need a hersha. But the question is, would you use it for, let's say, a fleshig, a restaurant, a restaurant that really did need a hersha? So I ask you, um, you know, they were Michael, tens of thousands, maybe a million people, Tarfus, right? There is no, nothing's come out, no apology. There's been no, nothing in the papers. We are changing our procedures. You know, the, I understand that they don't pay the bashkicham. I paid miserably small amounts. We've heard guys, teenagers and jeans and t-shirts and watching videos. I'm the mashkiach, the meat is yashan, you know, uh, to overworked mashkiachim, underpaid mashkiachim. There's not been no reassessment of policy. So if the hechshah doesn't really care, what it sounds like. We've asked them to come on a number of times. We haven't heard, you know, the Noida Behuda, the Dark Chaim. They talk about the Seder Atshuva, an organization that was marshal 
thousands of people. So, you know, it says, say that tshuva. First, they have to fast for 40 days. Then they have to be makabal that every Arab Rish Chodesh, the rest of their lives, they have to fast. Then they have to do malchus. Um, according to one, they should go in gullus for a year. It's here, it's just business as usual, send in another check. So, would I eat the heksha? I don't know. Would you eat the heksha? Um, orange juice, definitely, yes. After that, I don't know. At what point do you say, look, these are private businesses and we need more accountability. And when there is an accountability, I don't know, would you let them cook in your kitchen? So I let I let the oilum decide whether or not they would eat okay. But I do think it's it's sad. I think it's sad and distressing that something as important as food, which the Rambam puts in Sefer Kedusha, it's Tisure Bia, Arayas, and Machalas Asuras, that there wasn't more of an outcry. I didn't hear any Rabbanim from any place in Jersey who was Nitma, and the, the, the Levavis of the children were Nifkam because of this. I didn't hear an outcry, and that's very sad that something as holy as, you know, the, it's holy because it goes into Sefer Kedusha, didn't cause more of an outcry. It's, it's, it's uh, I don't know. Here's another voicemail we got uh, from a, a young man in Eretz He identified himself as Sternbach. So I love Mr. Lichtenstein. Again, you got it all wrong. Talking about changing body parts. Number one, the fact you use the head of the Kulach Nefesh. I think it proves you have no idea how to learn. Because there's no such smart uh, Kulach Nefesh to say that the cause I'm going to go jump if you don't let me do that. It's not a scratch of Kuch Nefesh. Kuch Nefesh has to be this Kriya, and then it comes to Oynes, and it wasn't Machmas or Maisa. You have any understanding of Allah, how Al-Nayat Sassadavar goes on the second, Ksubis, and Abdeid, and Abdeid. So, Rav Sternbach here is tying this young man that um, suicide, he says, is not a reason that something's called Pikuach Nefesh. Now, it's it's so happens that that's going to be a topic in this week's program. But Lamashal, the Shulchan Aruch that says in a number of places, in Shulchan Shabbos, in Reish Peches, and in three or four places, that somebody who feels he's being chased by a Ruach Ra, which is either Marish Chayra or Melancholy, whatever these cases are, you're allowed to be Machal Shabbos. Why are you allowed to be Machal Shabbos? So Rashi in Taina says, why? Hanirdaf mi Ruach Ra. Rashi says, because you're afraid. He's going to basically kill himself. And the halacha is brought by the, we'll put the Maramakaimus aligned, that, you know, what are the reasons? What is considered? You know, somebody's very depressed. Um, it's Pikuach Nefesh. What's the Pikuach Nefesh? A number of opinions in the Paiskin, but the Admas Kaidish, the Prioritz, the Igras Moshe, the Shevet Levi, they all say the same thing that it's a Shiloh, will he hurt himself or will he hurt others? Maybe if he has children, he'll hurt others. Um, the bring the Maramara Baruch brings, Pamayim Shenoifel Eish Elamayim. Why all these rachras? So somebody comes to a doctor and he says, "I'm suicidal because I'm trapped in the wrong body, or I'm mel- or whatever whatever reason is for this quote unquote melancholy." And you're afraid shema yipoel eishalamayim. The Allah is yes, you would be allowed to be mechal shabbos for him. He would be allowed to eat anyim kippa. All the cases that the shulchan aruch brings, right? So. It's just nice, you know. You have young people; they're learning from. You can't paskin from what you first say there in Masechtas Ksubis. You, we, we have to go a little bit beyond that. Now, here's the second point. He said how they're all, you know, it's Tayeva, etc. Listen to this. Here's the second half of the message. Also, the fact that you, you, you're, you're rough, you brought on, kept on saying again, again, and not, they're not, we're not, we're talking about humans and that sensitivity. I think proves how low you are and how low the rub is. It's just a crazy thing about people. Are being doing to Avas, not just about the Isser. People have no, no idea of, of any sensitivity towards life, any any religious observance, any any 
there's just nothing more about that person. And you're talking about as always a mental issue or a sensitivity to a guy who's nothing better than a monkey or a behemoth. It's going that as human, and we have to censor them, prove that you, you're somewhat holding over there, and you feel sympathy towards them, which proves you as a behemoth, like we see many other times. So here is somebody who actually deals with this, sadly, in a real-life situation, Rabbi Goldberg from, from Florida. And here's where he talks about what these people who have these, you know, these, these um, impulses, are they really, you know, what this young man said, they're mushchassim, uh, whatever the case. Here's what Rabbi Goldberg says about it. And every person I've met with, every person I've met with who struggles in this area would give everything in the world not to. Would, give, would donate body parts, would literally give a piece of themselves to not have to, to like others of their peers, simply be able to be attracted to the opposite and to be able to marry and, and so on. They'd give anything. to going forward, if we have interesting voicemails, or, you know, we will play them, we will respond to them on air so we can engage more with, with, with the B'nai Yeshiva here. Before I want to say two our, two our gushes for coming into the winter, you know, I put away my S-rig after uh, Sukkis, and I, I was crying. I was, like, crying. Everybody has their own S-rig. No two, you ask the S-rig deal, they all look different. It's not like apples. S-rig has a yechidist it. Why do we hold an S-rig? So what does it say in Chazal? Gemara says, S-rig is tamo eitz ketama pri. We all know that by my sebracious, Last week's parasha, eitz pre isa pre. Rashi says it was tam o eitz was ketam ha pre. That's what the rabbi Shalom wanted. Vehiloy asakain. What does it mean? It was tam o eitz ketam ha pre. The eitz represents the factory. Trees, that's what they do. They make fruit. So it's the factory. It's the architecture. It's the infrastructure. And the pre is what comes out. The plan and the pre. The rabbi Shalom wanted in the bria. Everything should be tam o eitz ketam ha pre. That the plan and what comes out are consistent. The tree said, Rabbi Nishalm, in this world, very little of what we want actually comes to fruition. I mean, in, in your life, what's, when was the last time something worked out exactly as planned? You know, Bechira, we bump into other people, to the world, the reality, you know, etc. Right? Bechira, mostly. Once you let Pandora Bechira out of the box, he said, Tamoit wasn't Ketama Pri. There's only one thing that remained as it was in my Sebracious, the third day of my Sebracious. And what is that? The asterisk tree, it's tamo eitz ketama pri. It goes back to the third day of my sabratius when the primordial soup was still being mixed. So we, when we take the, it says, you take so of all the millions of different types of produce in the world, the Torah chose these four, even though it didn't pick the shizayin minim, pick the asterisk, and the other three mean him, which is a Tavar Aruch, it's Maimra Muzgar, not for now. But why did it pick the Esrig? So the Lulav, the Arava, the, the fruits there are complex fruits. And we don't make a bracha on the Esrig, even though it's the Priyatad, we make it on the Lulav, right? Which takes a very long time to grow, a very long time to fruit. But one of the, th- of the Dawad Minim is the Esrig, and we hold it in a, in a, in a hand by itself. What, what is the Tyra telling us? The Rabbi Nisham is telling you. It's true here in the world that Tamoit is not like the pre. And things are really difficult, you know, from, from, the, from the spoon to the mouth, much, often much falls. But just remember, it's possible. At some place in you, you can, maybe for a moment, be Tamo Eitzke Tamo Pri. 
that your Kavana and the Lamaisa, is Iris and the Maisa Mitzvah, it, it could be the same. It's, it's really very hard and it's uncommon. But we just hold, so you, you should know what the ideal is. Yes, it's true, the Arava that has no Tam and has no Reach, and the, and the Lulav which takes forever to fruit, and the Hadas which has, it's true that that's what most of life's about. But you ha- hold the ideal for one moment in time of where it was Tamo Eitzke, Tamo Pri, which was the Kavan of Kaviachal in, 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 in Sheshishmer, Amaisa, right? Hold that with you. And then what happens right after Sukkis? The neshama of this esrig goes back all the way, all the way, all the way back to where it came from. Yom Gimel of Maisa Bereshis. Like some space, something that came, a spaceman from outer space to visit for seven days. And then it goes back. Long, long journey. Came here just for a week so I could hold it and look at look at my eye, look at my own estrogen in the eye and say, you know, David, this is on a really good moment. You really could still aspire to this. So I kissed my estrogen and I said goodbye. And I said, have a safe journey back home. All those millennia, eternity ago from where you're coming from. Now, last week, it's, I know it's last week, and I'm supposed to say Torah of this week, was the story of uh, Ganeden, of Chava, and, and, and I, I said a word that I, I think it's worth hearing, even though it's not this week's part, but you know, the, the story of the Eitzadas, you could say any time. A boy came to me, he goes to a modern Orthodox school in the New York area, a very expensive modern Orthodox school, and he was telling me, like, he, he lost his Kesher with Yadas. Why? Because the way they were teaching, one of the teachers in the school was teaching a certain thing, a certain way, without going into the Pratim. And I looked at him and I said, you know, wow, you told me it's like $60,000 a year? He said, yeah, it's like one of the best schools in the world, and a lot of the kids go to Ivy League afterwards. I said, and how many teachers do you have? He says, well, I don't know, we have five Hebrew rabbeim and five, you know, six English classes. And I said, is there a gym? Oh, there's a gym and the food. What are you talking about the food here? And the kids, oh, the kids all come from, you know, smart kids from good home. Amazing, amazing. I said, I, I think you, maybe you and Chava have something in common. He looks at me, what Chava? Like, what? I said, you know, the original sin you ever heard of? You? He looked at me like I was tight sugar. I said, let me tell you a story. Rabbi once made two people. He made Adam Arishan. He was the most, he shone from one, he was the best looking guy who ever was created. Huge, giant, mighty. And his kala, Chava, Chazal says she was the most beautiful woman maybe ever of thing. It was Ken and Barbie, right, in Gan Eden. And you know what? He was rich. You talk about real estate. He owned all the real estate in the world. And I'm not kidding. He really did. And the food, it grew on trees. They say the most tastiest imaginable. I mean, and clothing. He didn't need clothing. The weather year-round was like Southern California. Couldn't get better. It was incredible. It was just perfect. And guess what? There was one tiny little thing. He couldn't eat an apple. An apple. I mean, who likes apples? Let's face it. A Macintosh apple. I mean, he could eat filet mignon off the trees, whatever it was, and Napoleons, but he needed... And you know what? But the snake came along. You know what the snake represents? It's that thing in your mind. It's... Always whispering to you that voice. Can't have an apple. Do you know you can have an apple? Do you know how your life would change if you had a Granny Smith apple? <laughs> and it became an obsession. The one thing he couldn't have in the Garden of Eden, and he ate it. And you know, it sounds like such an ancient story. Don't you know? Don't you have an apple? I have apples in my life. You could have somebody who's married to the most wonderful, wonderful spouse. But there's something. They have a son. Who doesn't have something? 
I mean, let's face it. I mean, they could have the most wonderful yeshiva, but there's a Rebbe there. Or they could have, you name it, the most wonderful business, job, community. There's always an apple, right? And it's the obsession with that apple that will destroy the marriage, the school, the business, to this, to that, right? What's the story? Lose the apple. Yeah, it's fine. I won't have the apple. And you know who made this mistake? I saw this. I don't remember from which Hasidish Rebbe Gavalik. The Gemara says, Haman minatayra minayin. Where is there a remnant to Haman, right? Megillus Ksuvim, Kasfuni Lodiris, it's not part of the Tyrant of Eim. So the Gemara says, Hamin Ho'etz Hazer Chalta, right? So Hamin Memnon could also mean Haman. So I saw, I don't remember years ago, one of the Chesidish Rebbe's writes, what does Haman have to do with Hamin Ho'etz Hazer? And he says something beautiful. He says, Haman was the second most powerful man in the world after Achashver, in the whole world. 127 Medinas, Kufchav Zayin Medinas, right? Like the, like the years of Sarah. But guess what? Everybody was bowing and scraping. I mean, he had the power, to, literally, of death. I mean, he was, and wealthy beyond world. The most powerful, wealthy man of the world. I mean, he was Jeff Bezos and the Ayatollah uh, wrapped into one. I mean, there, there was nothing, you know, except for the king. It was the only, right? But guess what? There's one little idola, Mordechai Yechrev and all he could think about a whole day, he was obsessed with the one person who wouldn't bow to him. Obsession with the apple all over again. It's the same hate of Adam. And you know what? If we want to learn something from last week's Parsha, let's just say, Epola, Epola, hang happily on the tree. I have so much good going on in my life right now. That's the story of the the original sin. Let's go to our riddle of the week. So here's the first riddle of the week. It's Yudua the Zoyer that says that Rachel was Nensha, the Misa, because she was going of the Trophim of Lavan, the Vaidazar of Lavan, she was going of. You know, even her Kavana was Lataiva, but she was Nenash because she was not Noig, covered with Avia that she stole his Avaidazara. Charitzapella. Avram, we know, destroyed its slumim of Terach. Why isn't he Nenash? That's that's our first riddle of the week. Our second riddle of the week is is that the Ramban and Aleph Chavtes is Mavayer. Why was Adamarishan Asr Bachila and Noyachmata? Pashas because a person is not allowed to kill another creature. Because they're also they also have an Ashama of sorts. But after the Mabal since the, all the behemoths were nitzel, al yidei schus adam, al yidei noyach, so the Rabbani Shalom gave rishus adam to be shaychet behemoths aloichlam. Because the kiyim was bavure, as I state in the Ramban. Question is, why were dogim hotrul achila to noyach? They weren't nitzel b'schus noyach. Why? They, were in, they weren't bechlal the gzeris of the mabel, because they were not mashchiz darkam. Look before Leel, Rashi. All right, Zayin Chavbez, look at Rashi over there. The fish, the Ramban, Pasuk Chav Gimel, the fish were not Mashchiz Darkam. So since by Adam Arishin, the fish were Asa Bachila, Ayin Sanhedrin, Untesamid Bez, so they should have stayed Asa because Noyach didn't save them. Slachayr, it's a Pella on the Ramban who says that the whole Heter Achila is because they were Nitzel Bavuram. This is our second riddle of the week. And Bali Neda, going forward, we will, I'm going to make a greater effort than in the past of saying the answers to the riddles.
If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's uh, 02-372-0304. Let's go to our fabulous guests. Joining us from Los Angeles is Rabbi Dr. David Fox. He's an esteemed psychologist, but the reason we have him on tonight is because Dr. David Pelkowitz, who we have had on many times, says he's the number one expert perhaps in the world on halacha and psychology, where the two uh, cross. And he's cons- he himself is a dayan, uh, has smicha from the from the Rabbanus and Eretz Yisrael, from Chaim Shlaim Rosenthal, etc. He's uh, has consulted with uh, many of the but they didn't Eretz Yisrael or Miss Karelitz, Rav Sternbach, Rav Shlaim Zalman, Rav Shach, uh, more current Rav Mendel Shafran. It's an honor to have you with us. Welcome, Rav David. Thank you very much for the honor. Do, do I call you Rav David or Doctor Vax? David is fine. Okay. Tell us, Rabbi David, what are some of the Shilohs, an example of the Shilohs that Batei Din would call you for? Well, they're really quite quite a range. A, a common one is establishing mental competence, whether it has to do for Yerushas or for Kenyanim or whether having to do with uh, for divorce. Chazal have given us a set of criteria to determine whether a person might be classified as a shota. Which right, so Chazal, Chazal gives three criteria, right? He's ma'abed ma'ashenoistelai, he's, uh, he, 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 he runs around naked. Where I remember, what is the third one? I forgot. Well, let, let's remember that Chazal give us two discrete sets of criteria. One is determining if a person is a shota with the definition we would call psychosis or mania, and the other other one has to do with what we would call feeble-mindedness or suboptimal intellectual ability. So there are different criteria. Chazal sometimes use the term shota to describe one or to describe the other. But uh, with regard to halachic decisions, whether a person is psychotic or whether a person lacks the cognitive clarity, this would sometimes be something that, that, that we would assess and um, try to determine can this person uh, participate al halacha in one or another transaction, or could they participate in administering or receiving a get? So when when you use your modern, you know, 2022 code of of, uh, of decision making, do you use the modern, Amer- you know, what what what's accepted by the uh, by the American Physician Society, or do you do? Would this person be ma'abin mashin isinloi? Would he run around in, in, in the street naked, etc.? But how do you synchronize halacha and what modern medicine would establish, or modern psycho, you know, psychiatry would establish? It's it's a it's a perceptive question. There is not a lot of disparity between the two systems, meaning that Hazal, with their vast insight into people, um, they really did identify 
what we would simply translate as cognitive deficiency, emotional instability, uh, dysregulation of behavior. So the, the things that we're going to identify using diagnostic science, most of the time they're very consistent with the criteria that Hazal give us. There's also a lot of uh, disagreement among the post-skim going back to the classic post-skim about, for example, do we need all of the criteria of the Gomorrah site? So just one of those in order to identify a person as a shelter. A person is destroying things, is sleeping in the sleeping in the cemetery. And and those so, things you say sort of synchronize with what you would with the same criteria American uh, medicine would, would, would Yeah. Yeah, in other words, they may not necessarily be doing that specific behavior, but they're doing something that would reflect the same deficiency or the same disturbance. Uh, I'll give you an illustration. Uh, um, I had, and I'll disguise a lot of the details, but um, uh, I had a situation uh, quite some years ago where there was a very, very reputable Talmud Chacham who was in residential care. Um, was not able to function socially and was not able to function appropriately in a marriage and uh, was quite heavily medicated and um, had a variety of delusions, which means that either his belief about or his perception of things was uh, highly unconventional, the way he understood things and um, the way he talked about his experiences. So he was delusional. And um, the, the question that that the Dayston had was, was he competent to give again or not? And in this particular matter, um, he uh, staunchly held that he didn't have to give his wife because a gift because she was dead. And when the Dayston said, but she's sitting here in front of you, that's her ghost. So the question in that particular fascinating case was, was he seeing things? Was he deluded? Um, or was he deluding the Dayston? In other words, what did it mean that his wife was, was a ghost? And Luyat Sirius, she was a ghost. Is there an issue to give? Is there any a problem of giving a dead wife a get if, in fact, she's really alive? So this is one that they asked me to spend a few hours, firstly, explaining to the defendant what are the parameters of, this, of, the, of determining delusion. Does delusion necessarily mean he's a shota? Um, or can he be rational in all other ways and therefore competent? to make a decision to divorce. Um, and then I spent a number of hours with a gentleman, um, a fine gentleman, but definitely had some focused delusions. And then to sit down and to uh, speak back and forth with the different Dayanim and trying to reach a conclusion. So the conclusion in this case is probably immaterial, but that would be an example of a very uh, sort of exotic case where um, they had the halachic criteria. He really didn't meet those criteria, but nonetheless, there was this sense that he was unstable. He wasn't uh, thoroughly uh, thoroughly rational, and did those concerns qualify him as a pessy? Did it uh, qualify him as a shota? Did it qualify him or identify him as something else? So this would be a case where they might call me in to wow. help. Wow, fascinating. Fasc yeah. Give us another one. Well, I had a situation uh, in another country um, where uh, a very, very esteemed, accomplished godel, uh, but you know, by by many definitions, uh, was in and out of uh, psychiatric facilities, sometimes for half a year or more at a time, because of mood instability, which could not be regulated with medication. 
and uh, had had refused uh, refused to give a get, but not because of cruelty, but because he believed he was a sota. He believed that he qualified halakhically as a shota, and therefore he felt he was not able to give his wife a get, who therefore had been, uh, in essence, an unfortunate naguna for uh, a decade and a half or so. Um, and so uh, I was asked by a, by a different based in uh, to consult on the situation, um, and uh, we determined that at the time he was eaten Holim, at the time that, that finally he did have some clarity that he was qualified to give the get. Um, and after he gave the get, about a week later, he uh, claimed um, that it wasn't that he gave the get Baratzon with free will, but instead that he had given the get because when he was no longer manic and psychotic, he was um, extremely docile and would do anything anyone asked him. And so therefore, since he would do anything anyone asked him to do... How did he look Well, he, did, he didn't say it was Kathia. He just said that it really didn't qualify as Ratzon. As Ratzon. Is, so, is there such a gather, a hyper-complying person? There are. Uh, there are people... I don't mean that, but in Halacha, do you find that a hyper-complying person's Kenyan is an Kenyan, etc.? So, so one of the, and this actually got published by Otra Post, and one of the things I looked into are different uh, dargas in, uh, in mental illness or disturbance, and we take a look at the PESI. And so a PESI, what I demonstrated, is really from the world to be mafata, someone who's easily convinced, meaning a mafuta is a person who's seduced, which means they're very easily convinced, they're persuaded easily. And so the question here was that since he wanted to be compliant, did that make him choser ratzon? Meaning if he was doing what you asked him to, to please you, and he's now timing that he wasn't doing it because he abjectly wanted to do it, but what he abjectly wanted to do was to make you happy. So where do you, saying, where do you, but where yeah. do you find something like that in halacha, where somebody should say, hi, a Kenyan isn't a Kenyan because I was seduced, or mafuta, or, or I'm pata from an Avera because I was a mafuta. We, we don't, we, I can't think of one, can you? Well, you, you have a couple of very unusual cases. You have the well-known uh, controversial tshuva of the Binyan Sion, about a woman um, who was persuaded by a boarder in the inn yeah, that he was Mashiach or something. Yeah, but, yeah, that, but, but she would she would be the mother of the Mashiach. Yeah, but but that's I don't think that that's so much of hyper compliant that somebody was fooled. Yeah, so there is a question of of deception. What he was saying was was that he was in a state of mind. I, I'm just trying to think of yeah. if you have a halachic example with somebody, any place in Shas gets off the hook because of something like this, That's, and I can't think of one. No, I, I wasn't able to find something. In fact, I was able to demonstrate that if someone had said to him, will you jump out the window, that he would have refused to. So the fact yeah. that he did have... Fascinating. Give yeah, us an, I, another example, Rabbi Fox. We, these are fascinating. Give us another another story. Well, there's one, uh, actually, a, a very fascinating case, uh, which I actually published also. Um, a a non-firm couple uh, came into the base and the wife was screaming, and she says, I need a get, I need a get. And uh, we explained to her, we were, the cell firm were gone for the day, we were closed, we weren't doing any more uh, and he deunim, and uh, the Av Basin at the time, in this particular Basin, uh, told them to leave. He said he was going to call security. I had a sense that there was something more here, and I asked, could I speak to the two of them? And he, he consented, and I went and spoke. And what happened was that 
uh, although they were not religious, the husband had a massive brain tumor. He was going in for surgery a day or two later. And the husband, while not from, he remembered Bible stories. And he remembered as a child hearing a Bible story, quote unquote, that David HaMelech had insisted that soldiers going out to war give a condition. So he said he was afraid. The doctors had said there was about an 80% chance that he would be a vegetable. Oh my goodness. And therefore his wife would be an aguna. And he felt the biblical imperative was that he give her a get now. Because if he's going to end up a vegetable, the, the get would be chalama for you. And uh, I asked to see the medical records. They had them to verify that, in fact, this was all true. And I sat down with the other day on and I said, look, we have to make an exception. Um, and uh, it, it took a little bit of work. But we, we actually... so did you do a get all tonight like, like, uh, like them? But we don't really do a get all tonight. We explain, as long as that, we're, we're very frugal. And that's what I'm saying. So, but, but it says, yeah. says with a get all tonight. I'm curious if that's what you did. No. So, so we don't give a get on tonight. Um, but, but I, his analogy was sort of the impetus to, to break protocol and give an after hours get, uh, uh-huh. which we seldom will do. But the beautiful part of it was, that uh, the Al-Bastin and I, a week later, decided to call the fellow's wife. And she said, um, you want to speak to him? Not only had he recovered, but he had regained his speech. Oh, he, he was, it was a, and, and they actually wrote it up in one of the secular Israeli newspapers, the Kiddush Hashem, that we, in essence, had, had, had intervened. A fascinating case. Yeah. Uh, like you, you learn these Gemaras, like I think it's in Shabbos and like that's in Hay or something, and you never think they're going to become alive, and then you hear that they became alive. Now, in fact, yeah. so talk to us about more common shilas. Like, where would you find halachic shilas dealing with anxiety, um, psych- uh, depression, bulimia, eating disorders? Like, give us, now let's roll it from, the, like, you know, what you're talking about are the really extreme cases to the cases that, unfortunately, in society we see every day. Yeah. So, you know, we we need to become better educated about the common disorders we need um, our communities to understand more about anxiety more about depression more about eating disorders more about bipolar disorder um, because um, they're not all the same condition there are different levels of severity so for example uh, a not infrequent shiloh that comes up is what about uh, for a person who has panic attacks. Now, a person who's having severe panic attacks, the probability is they're not going to harm themselves. Sometimes they do. They, they can't handle it. They fling themselves out the window. Or um, they are in their own subjective sort of phenomenology. They think they're going out of their mind. And so they're, they're asking, Hector, can I listen to music? Can I turn on the radio? Can I call my sponsor if I'm in a support group or something like this? So um, th- this is this is a, a not infrequent question. Does anxiety? I mean, you have. I mean, the, the, the Mishnah Brewer talks about a ruach ra, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, the Gemara yeah. talks about a Ruach, right? A Gemara in Bamem Avlikin, right? Right, and in the we've shown him. How do we define it? The Rambam it implies that we're talking about... He calls it, I think, melancholy. Melancholy, the Rambam. What, what, what they call Marashkura, which used to be yeah, yeah. equivalent. And, yeah. yeah, which is That's sort of the depression. Yeah. yeah, not everybody, not everybody defines Marashkura, that, uh, the Ruach Ra, that way the Rambam does. But, yeah, and it so, says clearly the the Gemara says clearly that you mechal Shabbos for it. You can mechal Shabbos, yes. So, so there you're talking not about anxiety, but you're talking about morbid depression. A person's in sort of a vegetative state. They have no initiative. They have no interest in living. They are very, very blue, somber thoughts, and, or, and that's or, a very different but, disorder. But, but, but. but. Ultimately, the order, the disorder, the hetzer would be because of pikuach nefesh. Because we would see the person, and the definition of pikuach nefesh is also there are many definitions, but either he could be suicidal, right, or he could hurt somebody else. Mm-hmm. You see, some you right, um, or he could go into a panic and hurt himself. Like you see, it says the, the Shulchan says that if a child gets locked in a room. They're allowed to break the door down. You're afraid maybe, to, right, uh, yep. because something will happen. Or alternatively, some of the pipes can say it's because um, if if his if his situation turns, you know, uh, takes a turn for the worse, and you know, he has a breakdown and he becomes a putter from a mitzvah, that's considered a type of death too. Yeah. So so this is where the public needs more education because um, we're going to sometimes equate one condition with another. Let's go back to panic and anxiety. So panic and anxiety, it's it's possible. Every case needs to be brought to its own POSIC because we can't say that all anxiety is the same, all panic is the same. But let's say the anxiety... Wait, wait, well, let me just let me interrupt you. You say brought to its own POSIC. I mean... Yeah. Who's qualified? To, I mean, you go to your shul, your local shul rabbi, and you say, "Hi, is his panic attack Roy Fichel Shabbos?" I mean, is that what you mean, bring, brought to its own paisik? Well, some someone who is qualified and has taken the time to sit down with professional experts, people, hopefully, your people, the Irish Shemayim, who know the halacha, who know the sugyas, but, but a competent rub, a rub who's competent to hear these cases, generally will seek education. I, I get a number of times every week, uh, I don't say this with any arrogance at all, but I do get a number of times a week uh, from North America and, and from other places in the world also. I'll get calls from a bottom saying, this is what the person told me, this is what I'm seeing, help me think it through, help me identify what it is they're saying. I'll get calls a day or two before Yom Kippur. From give us, saying, Rabbi Fox, knowing that we can't pass skin off of this, give us a crash course. You have many Rabbanim listening. Give us like just some, you know, panic, anxiety, depression, eating disorders. Give us a quick, you know. I'll regalacha. Give us on each one. Give us a little bit of a, a you know, a mime. There's so many, many disorders. And, and take the, how about take the five, the five, the ones that you see the most, the four or five that you see the most. Okay. So we, we do see mood disorders, which can be bipolar, which used to be called panic depressive illness. Um, we see people with mood disorders like just plain old depression. And if there is a consideration that the person would harm themselves, um, or there's a consideration um, that the person 
if the person, let's say someone who's manic, I had a call about this actually today from another community, a person's manic, which means that they go into moments of either rage or uh, deranged thinking or uncontrollable conduct. Um, so if there's a risk that they could cause danger to someone else, so we generally, and again, this is not upset, but we generally would take the steps that we would need to make sure that they're getting treated. Uh, and, and sometimes that, that will involve a shadow. So none of, the, none of the people listening to this should, I mean, the Dama Milsa Milsa and say, if someone said, sad, then, then Fox said, bring him to the hospital. It's not what I'm saying. But if someone actually has a, a major mood disorder and there is a history of self-harm or a history of doing things that put others at risk and they're not able to come or console themselves um, or they're in need of medication. So that might be the type of situation where one would would, would need to ask a Shiloh from a competent person, uh, what steps can we do? What steps must we take in order to protect him or to protect others? Now, um, now, now Rabbi Fox, yeah. there's two, when you talk about, say, Shabbos, there's talking about doing a Nisa Daraisa, like, the, like but we, we spoke about how the Shulchan Aruch talks about the Gemara and Shabbos to be, you know, the Chabes Haner, or depending on Suffolk, whether it's a Daraisa over there. And then you have something, somebody came to me, they asked me the following question. They said, um, this son has a psychological disorder, a Severe eating disorder, and the son's only um, outlet is swimming. Couldn't they have a guy pick up the son to take him to a drive him to where there's a pool on Shabbos and swim on Shabbos? Now, so here's what's interesting: it's Amir Laakum, right, which is a drabanan. Sakana. In many cases, Amir Laakum would have a din of a shvus, right? Would be muta. A deraisa would be a whole different story. So are these some of the, you know, are these, you know, I mean, so defining which, which type, you know, is an eating disorder a chayla, is it, is it just a chayla? Is it a chayla, is it a chayla by sakana or is it a chayla sheyesh by sakana? Defining what type of a chayla the disorder is also t- is, is important, isn't it? Yeah, and, and even in eating disorders, we have a small spectrum which means if the person, let's say, is a binge eater, so the likelihood that they're going to do anything to harm themselves um, is is very, very minimal. Um, If a person has severe anorexia, for example, although in the early literature we did differentiate uh, between those who really need to be in the hospital and those who can be treated in an ambulatory way, but if a person is really starving themselves, and they are posing for themselves many, many health risks that could possibly require Hilo in order to get them into a hospital or to do what it would take to keep them alive. Um, meaning if a person is, is severely, severely anorexic to the point that they are... Uh, in essence, passively mutilating themselves internally. Yeah, but, but, but Dr. Fox, you seem to be putting a very high bar in it, that they're extreme, extreme um, um, anorexia. That uh, I mean, you know, Hatzalah, if somebody cuts themselves, Hatzalah is already on the way. Mm-hmm. Aren't we more makel when it comes to Pikuach Nefesh and saying extreme, extreme? Because even if it's not so extreme, very often anorexia has fatal outcomes. Yeah, and um, I've been doing some workshops and some lecturing to Hatzalah people. I may be doing more of that, as are other uh, colleagues of mine. I'm not the only one doing this. The the Hatzalah criterion is probably different 
Um, and I think sometimes some of the groups I've worked with, we try to help them fine tune that not every situation where a person, for example, is refusing to eat, warrants or constitutes um, are acting as if it's a nefesh. So, so this is this is probably the greatest gift that I can offer Rabbi or whoever is listening to this, and that is to to recognize that a we need to know the scientific criteria, and that most of the time they will concur with halakhic criteria. But number two, this is an area where we've got to look subjectively. We've got to look at the individual situation. Um, the fact that a person holds a particular diagnosis, it doesn't mean that their needs or their severity is going to be the same as everyone else who has that diagnosis. I'm, I'm of the opinion, professionally as well as halakhically, that we do have to be careful um, before making sort of shooting from the hip decisions that because this is a mental disorder, that it means that um, we relax halacha for them. It is, it is not uncommon that we do, um, but before we do, I think we have to seek a consultation. It's one thing if someone calls me and says, um, I'm going through a depression and um, I'm really having a hard time, and I'm crying a lot, and the only thing that soothes me is listening to classical music. Can I listen during the nine days? Okay, so I, I don't have a difficulty typically of saying, saying to that person based on their, um, their self-description that, yes, you can, if this is going to be your medicine to soothe you so that you won't go into a, into a more and more of a place. But if the person says... Um, I'm feeling very, very depressed. The only thing that helps me is if I speak to uh, so-and-so. Can I call them on Chavez? Um, can I text to them? Okay, so, so b before saying you absolutely can, I'm going to want to probe a little bit more uh, carefully and responsibly. Is there a history when it gets severe? How severe does it get? Um, by the way, you'd ask me about anxiety and depression. I, I think as long as we're on uh, this discussion, I, I do want to I do want to mention another disorder we see a lot of, and I think a lot of the shilas we have uh, revolve around this disorder, um, and that's uh, uh, disturbance that's associated with having been traumatized. Unfortunately, we're seeing a lot more of this. Uh, you may know that I direct uh, for High Lifeline across the world. I, I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand the condition you're referring to. I apologize. Uh, to, 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 to people whose disturbance is a byproduct of having experienced trauma. Trauma, traumatization. Like PTSD, you're saying? It could be PTSD. It could be after molestation. It could be after right. rape. It could be after okay. witnessing a horrible event. So, so we do see people who have either PTSD or an, a more acute, immediate traumatization PTSD before we give that technical diagnosis, a lot of things have to fall into place and have to be in place for a number of months, meaning just because a person had a horrible experience, we don't automatically say they have PTSD. But, but anything that involves a traumatizing incident, which could be abuse, which could be molestation, which could be deprivation, which could be so many different things, particularly when these uh, these events happened earlier in life. So we're going to see depressions and we're going to see anxiety which are related to the trauma 
And there are persons, victims of trauma, who um, sometimes do pose more um, um, more serious disturbance, meaning they may dissociate, they may um, at times go into sort of a, a state of mind, a fog where they're not they're not present, um, that they um, they're, they're so, not able to function competently. So Rabbi Fox, what is what are you looking for? Are you looking for the criteria? Will this person harm themselves? Is the criteria will their before let's say you would allow for whole Shabbos? Will they? Um, further deteriorate into a situation where maybe they become, you know, institutionalized? Like, what is your measuring stick to decide, okay, this is where I would say, here is Michal Shabbos, should, should, should absolutely rule for it. Okay, so it could be all of those or any of those. It could also be that they're detached. They're in a what we call a dissociative state. So they're really not mindful or fully conscious of what they're doing. They can become extremely gullible and extremely vulnerable. Um, they can become childlike, um, uh, episodically. Oh, so, so my point is, so that's when you allow it, or you're afraid that they will become childlike? That if, if they are presenting distress, and we know that the distress is a, is a byproduct of having had severe traumatization at some point. Right. And what we're seeing now is not just that they're anxious, but they're really okay. in the vernacular, they're losing it. They're not themselves. Then you So so in a situation like that, um they they can become um childlike right. and not, not able to take care of themselves. And that and would they, uh, and that is a reason to be Michal Shabbos if somebody will become childlike? That, that if they're headed that way, and the only way that we can contain them. So I'm saying, what is the and and how would you define that? Because Lavish, we understand very easy. Somebody goes off a bridge. We, that's because Lavish, they're going to die. Becoming childlike would fit into what category of Pikuach Lavish? Well, that they're helpless, that they're gullible, and that that makes them vulnerable, and they're not fully conscious. Of so why? Making, and why is yeah. that called? Because that means that they could lose their life. Why would that be called losing their life? Well, I, I think we would probably refer to that as something like a transitory stus. We would say that they're in a state where they have become feeble-minded and not competent, and therefore they can potentially uh, put themselves in danger. And if the only way we can intervene is to get them um, into into treatment, into residential treatment. Um, so that might be a situation where the rav would be matir. And I would tell you, I would just add on halachically, we have a concept of halal shabbos echos kadesh yishmer shabbos harbe. That if a person would fall into a matziv, where at that point they would not be a shaymer shabbos because they were not cognizant, they were not able to, they just were not aware. So preventing that situation would fall under the gather of halal shabbos echos kadesh yishmer. Is that sort of what you say? That's that, that's a factor that we would entertain in making in making that determination. So let yeah. me ask you a a, a lamdishishayla. You're a dayan, a rav, a paisik. I could ask you a lamdishishayla on the Gemara in Shabbos that says you're mechabes haner. So the Gemara says you're allowed to be mechabes haner for for list for goyim. 
Right, and as the Jews who've, we've seen so many, so many, so many millions of our own people murdered over so many, as we can understand, Gaim, list them, very similar. And the Gemara says, Ruach Ra, the Mishnah says, and then the next thing it says, Chayla. So when the Gemara, and the Gemara discusses the Mishnah, the Gemara in Amar Aleph, I think, Amar Aleph, the Gemara says, Chayla, what type of a Chayla? If it's a Chayla of Pikuach Nefesh, it's Pashit. If it's a Chayla of not Pikuach Nefesh, why are you Mechaba? So the Chuvah Sarajba says, why did the Gemara ask Chayla what they're talking about? Why didn't the Gemara ask Listim, Gayim, or Ruach Ra if it's, if it's Pikuach Nefesh? So the Rajbah therefore says, it seems that all time, Goyim, Listim, and Ruach Ra are always Becheska's Pikuach Nefesh. And it's only by Chayla do we ask, is this a head cold or is this a Pikuach Nefesh? So the Rajbah, almost a thousand years ago, takes an incredibly modern stance, and he says Ruach Ra has a greater chance of Pikuach Nefesh than a, a physical ailment. Something astonishment, because it's astonishing, it's 800 years before Freud. Right? So... Do you, as a Pisic, take the position of the Rajbin and say, we are more machmer by chayle ha-nefesh than would be a chayle aguf or not? Many Poskin will tell us that a chayle nefesh, a person who has a mental disorder or psychiatric illness, that he's considered um, like a person with a holy bakal gufo. He's considered a person... Um, who has uh, a, a uh, intense and rampant disease flowing through him. Um, and in that sense, if this person qualifies as our Ruach Ra person, if they meet that criteria, which, as we said, Michael Lucas, we've shown him how to define that, um, but, but if a person really does seem, for example, possessed, which is one analog for understanding the Ruach Ra, that something has come over him, or her, they're not themselves. They're, they're um, as if something is driving them. And by the way, I've had, uh, from the Catholic Church, I've had consults where they want to know, should they go ahead and give an exorcism to someone, meaning, is this person demonically possessed, or is this something else? Is it PTSD? I've actually had, from the archdiocese, I've had these referrals uh, from priests where they're ready to perform the exorcism, but they want to be careful, Hatsad, Hayosef Tov, that this is not mental illness. But, but if a person has that Ruach where, where there's that sense that they're just not themselves, something has overtaken them, and they're not thinking well, they're not thinking at all. Um, so yes, that would be, um, that would be more than your, your rubric of Kola, which, as, as Chazal say, might represent a virus, might represent a bacterial infection, might represent something internal, um, but not necessarily something that would be life-disruptive. Okay, let me ask you a few Shilas and you Paskin them, okay? No. <laughs> no, okay. not in the year. Okay, I don't mean that. I I don't mean Paskin them because these are not real, but discuss them. Um, My child has panic, terrible panic attacks, and if uh, if he would watch TV on Shabbos, it would quiet the panic attack. Can I have him turn on the TV on Shabbos? Okay, so the first thing I would do is I tell the parent to have a consult with the treating professional, hopefully someone who's competent and trained and try to figure out, is this the only way we can manage the panic? Or is that going to be disruptive to the treatment because the therapist wants them to be doing something different? 
um, I might possibly, if the therapist said no, under those conditions, getting them to watch uh, cartoons or, or something, uh, that really will soothe them. Although I would have a hard time believing that to be true because we've got enough data right now on the effect um, on the brain, particularly of someone who's hyper-aroused anyway, the effect of uh, digital media, including television, on the brain. I, I would hardly think that would calm the child down out of a panic attack. I think it might add to it. Okay, let's but, say music. Uh, you, can we put on music on Chavez? Okay, so what I would what I would direct them to do is to have the have the clinician talk it over with the rov who's going to give the psak to really find out what will be the differences um, if he does or if he doesn't want listen to the music. Are there alternatives? What will what what potential severity will will there be? if he has that panic attack and it runs unabated. Um, so okay. it, it, it's, not, it's not a yes or no. I understand. Dialogue. Same thing. The question I was asked, my son has a severe eating disorder. The only thing that, that um, he, he, and he was actually in some type of a out facility and he was doing exercise and he wants to swim on Shabbos. Can I have uh, a guy drive him to uh, a swimming pool on Shabbos? So it, the first thing we'll do again is we'll go to the... Um, the mental health professional who's treating this person, this youngster, and find out more about what, what um, are the, let's say, the ameliorative, what the therapeutic options for him. What can the swimming do that other things don't do? Um, and it, it, is that really the therapy that's indicated uh, in those circumstances, and it is possible that if the person had an eating disorder, which could lead to sakon, it is possible that through through a nonju you could you could be matcha the swimming is possible. Um, you know that there are certain things where matcha b'makom sar you soak your feet b'makom sar certain of the quasi refluah things, for example, that if a person's in sar we will we will relax uh, the humor the there. But again, um, I I wouldn't uh, urge a rub. I wouldn't suggest to a rub that they take a individual say so that this is what this is what the child is. I would urge the uh, the rub to speak to the clinician directly and to get a better sense from the, the clinician. Is this the best treatment? Is this the best intervention? Is it the only one? What happens if he does? What happens if he doesn't? It, it's really not a. Uh, okay, it's give, not give a, us one. Give us one more Shiloh, and then I want to switch topics to something related, but not exactly on point. Give us one more Shiloh that you see that you know you think would be pretty common. It's it's not about a guy who's divorcing his. You know, just something more in the anxiety, bipolar, eating, etc. Give us another Shiloh you get, or that Rabbanim get commonly. Okay, uh, you know I don't want to go into this. I think the last. Uh, podcast you and I did together was on this particular topic, but we are getting more and more gender identity related silos. I think you interviewed me on this topic a couple of years ago, um, but we, we are getting more of those and they are showing up in the Bate Din also. Um, in terms so I have, I, I, I got a lot of calls just this week from people screaming, it, it's imaginary, it's cultural, it's, it's tayeva, it's not really a sickness, it's, it's, it doesn't really exist. What's your opinion as a psychologist? How would you respond to these? I could play some of the voices screaming. It's just a shayim. Talk to me about people who have gender identity issues. Well, 
the, the first thing is when people scream and call people Rishoyim, I like to joke that because I am both a Dayan and a mental health professional, I'm probably the only one who's allowed to be judge mental. I'm not yeah. that was a double Okay, very okay. good. But, but otherwise, I, I try not. I try not to. You know, I don't think it's within my my purview or my my expertise to decide who is and who's not in Russia. But but I think this is a bandwagon that a lot of people have jumped onto. You know, you have the Gomorrah and Chafaf Chafzayin and Sanhedrin about Shevna Hasofer. Rashi's second shot about what it means he was a Baal Hana. So you do have Chazal referencing things like this. Um, you know, we, we had a situation, it's actually happened now more than once, where two women show up in, in the basin uh, for a get the hoof, but one of the women is a man. And he needs to deliver the get quickly because he's going to be flying to Thailand to become a woman uh, surgically. And then what happens when he shows back in the basin six months later? And he wants a Uda saying that he is single so that he can marry a man. You can imagine the predicament there. You've got you've got there two um, two two extreme changes in his in anatomical changes, and does that have any bearing at all? in his halachic status. Well, the first one does. He, if he gave the get, the get is hal. Now he became a woman. I mean, the, the question is, does that have any halachic standing? You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who says that it does, right? Correct. We've got, but, but, but I want to ask you as a psychologist, yeah. do you believe that these people who are going through the surgery, etc., I mean, this is serious surgery. It's not minor surgery. I mean, is there a? I mean, to me, there's no doubt that somebody could feel that they're in the wrong body. I mean, do you agree with that or not? Uh, people can feel that way. Just because of licensure laws, I have to be very, very cautious about what I'm going to say on this topic. Uh, if I'm going to maintain my license uh, here and in other parts of the country to practice. Let but, me make the case why, to me, it's a double pasha. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll in the thumbnail. Just the last pasha. I mean, the Torah, it seems, is a, is a Zachar and a Keva Bar. And Rashi says man and woman were created in one body. That's it. It was man and woman together. Then afterwards, they were separated. So uh, the initial Adam is created as a man and a woman. The Minchas Chinuch would go out of business if there wasn't an Androgynous and a Tumtum. An Androgynous is somebody who has simonim of both Ish and Ish, and a Tumtum has neither, right? Practically out of the Tariag Mitzvahs, in, in 85% of them have Tumtum and Androgynous. So if we, could, if we understand they were created as one, we understand that they could have both or neither. Right? We understand in Hilchus Mumin, anything is imaginable as possible, including the Gemara says somebody came in, he said, even two sets of fillings. The Gemara says they threw him out of the base medrash. The next day somebody came in, he said he had a son who was born with two heads. So we know physically just about any mum could happen. And knowing that we were cre- originally was one body, and know that people could have both simonim and neither simon, what's the big deal about saying, okay, if a person could be born with kidneys, without kidneys, your identity could be born mixed up as well. Like, I, I, I don't have any p- problem with it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the question is, what is our standard going to be? So many of the silos that come up. Um, and again, I don't want to make a public standard statement. And, and many of my rabbinic colleagues also are very cautious about saying things in public. But we'll give you an example. Um, 
I was at a rabbinic retreat some time ago, and one of the uh, Gadoli Rosh Yeshivas, uh, someone I admire very close to, he was the uh, scholar in residence for us, and he spoke about the shilas that come to him, and one of them was that parents uh, uh, of a child, let's say a third grader, they want the school to accept that the child really is of the opposite gender, um, that is, uh, in, in, he's in, he, he or she is within the body of one gender, but actually is within themselves is another gender, and they, therefore uh, they want to be referred to by the non-anatomic gender. They want the rights to use the bathrooms of the non-anatomic gender, um, and they want the school to give tolerance seminars uh, to all of the students uh, in the school, um, so that they can. This happens. Uh, this has happened in a religious school. You saying? A, a very religious yeshiva katana. Yes. So I, I would just, as a hagdam, I would say I think that there's a big difference when a 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60 year old person comes along and say I want this surgery, than when a three year old, a little boy, or a five year old who has a sister who gets a lot of attention from the mother because well, the father wanted a daughter. So this guy decided if, he, if he's more of a girl, he'll get more attention from the father. I mean, to put this into children to me is is, is I'm stunned by my just I know I saw it as a psychologist from Yale who believes that as young as three children could be and she wants to counsel three-year-olds that maybe they're in the wrong body. Could you imagine this? Right. And I had uh, some time ago parents come to me. Their 14-year-old child had made the decision to change genders and the endocrinologist who was beginning the treatment did so without the parents' know, uh, knowledge and without the parents' consent because they felt that as a pediatric endocrinologist that it was their decision to support the child. Oof. So now the child has now gone through uh, hormone treatment and um, appearance has changed and body hair has changed. Jeez, I mean, that, can't that doctor lose his license? No, that's the problem. In this particular state, uh, no consent was needed because the premise that a child can determine this and that no one has the right to, to interfere. Wow. And so go back to your question. What happened in the school where you were? Where you were? Well, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to quote the particular psaac. It was uh, one that came with, with great anguish on the part of the scuttle. Um, but but uh, we are, or I personally, but we are hearing more and more of those shilas. But are those shilas because we are on the cultural or attack or because we've become more enlightened and these things really are happening at the ages of three, four, and five? Well, it's a very sensitive question. Um, I think there is a little bit of, as I said, the moving bandwagon. that It's become the zeitgeist. It's become the position that more and, pe more, and more people are being uh, prompted to take um, what I would say without making a statement is that before anyone makes a decision, either based on science or otherwise, that they first look at the literature, the data, to see whether there is extent to date any um, strong evidence at the anatomic, physiological, neurochemical, endocrinological, or otherwise. Is there really um, any information, are there any data that show that there are these there are these possibilities? Is there anything to show that there is in, in fact a biological basis to this? Or as I think you were saying, in the name of some of the screaming people who call in, is it really not a biologically based destiny, but is it something that people are choosing to do 
or something that people are doing because it's popular. Um, I had one school, not a Jewish school, that called me, and there uh, there was one girl who went through the change, and then a number of all other girls decided they wanted to do this too. And so a whole group of uh, uh, older adolescents went through this change and went through this, this treatment. Um, and then I think, um, if I remember, uh, all but the original one now regret it and there's nothing they can do. Meaning they had parts of themselves removed surgically and they went through other treatment and now they're regretting it and they're depressed and um you know that this creates a legal and a philosophical question that how much do we do to promote a person's right to autonomy um when would we say that religion defines our morality and we're going to have to do what halacha guides us to do um but i think you, you said it's a davar pashat in some ways it is a davar pashat um, what 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 a um, halakhically focused Jewish person will do and won't do. But on the other hand, um, there are a lot of pressures on society to change our thinking. So without saying more than that, without backing myself into a corner, um, that is definitely a fruitful area where a, a competent clinician with Yerushalayim and a well-trained a POSIG needs to be consulted. And the way I see it happening, this particular topic, it's not anymore just an individual uh, Shiloh, but it's becoming a community Shiloh. I find it frightening that something which to me is like so, um, it, it's, it should be like, okay, this happened, you know, once, that you're saying this is a common question, is, is to me is terrifying. Yeah, look, look in the data and, and, and you'll see that there's an uptick in this. Let me, let me change topics to give you another exciting example of mental health in Oaxaca. Yeah. This was, this was one uh, that uh, was actually quite an exciting one that came up in a base tent. The woman didn't want to get pregnant, and her husband did. And he promised her that they would use birth control. This is a yeshivish couple, and uh, that, that he would respect that she didn't want to get pregnant. And anyway, because of certain things that happened, uh, she became pregnant. And the husband's mischief had something to do with it, uh, misleading her. And so she sought an abortion, and she aborted the she aborted the uh, the fetus. And the husband then said he was entitled to the navelados because it was his child, and it was destroyed. And had this been done by a third party, he would have a grievance. He would be entitled to some compensation, and he was demanding this of his wife. Oh, 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 what does it matter? Was she a wealthy woman? I mean, Nipsey, yeah, yeah. Labaila thought she was a wealthy woman. She had her own source of income, yeah. And and, and this was really what, what had a, a number of very, very reputable Dayanin, um, including one of uh, Eric Chisrael's finest, um, arguing about um, whose baby is it? Is it the mother? Is it the father's? Well, we know that the, we know that the Mevlad is Allah Av. We know that, right? Sure. But so that's you where... Know, the, yeah, but 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 here was she, but here was, she was fooled. You're saying. Yeah, and then and and she is the culprit, and she's saying in essence, in essence, it's my child until it's born, 
and um, yeah, but, the din of, the, but the din of the may vladis is even when it's uber yarachimai. But but at that point, if the woman is the instigator, does he receive the vladis? There's a chasam sofer on it. There's different there's different sheets, and and this became a great vikuah. And I'll tell you just because I I I took a little um, uh, delight in this one. Uh, they asked me if I had any sources. Did I have any sources that they hadn't come across? So I told them that there's a Baltus for San Chumash, the Paneah Raza, who write that, I think it's a Paneah Raza, that he write that when um, Rivka... I, I, have a, I have a Raya from a Gemara B'chairis, but go ahead. Let me no, hear go you. ahead, let me hear, let me hear yours. The, the, the Gemara B'chairis, I think it's on Das Tess, by an Isha that's Yaitzel Lahari, so the Gemara has a Tzad over there, that it's Pashit that you shouldn't, and why? Because since the Mei Vladeis La'av, they shouldn't be allowed to. That's how Rashi learns. And B'chairis over there, it's talking about where it's the hate of the Isha, so it's her own... Yerech and her chait l'chayre should obligate her. She would at that point have the right, or it, since it's her chait, she would. In other words, it all comes under the responsibility of, of her chait, her chi of misa. And yet the Gemara says that the mevla, the Baal would be able to, should be able to stop it. That's that's a raya. I, I uh, brought a raya because uh, this particular Rishon writes that to answer the question asked in Rishonim, why uh, Rivka went to Shen ben Noach and she didn't go to her sphere of Mavino. He was the Gadol Ador, he had superseded Shen ben Noach as the Kohen Gadol. So why did the tale Kedoshah Elohim, why did she go to him? Why didn't she go to Avmavino? So she said she was reluctant to go to Avmavino because he saw in a child of Yitzchak, he saw his progeny and he saw the Haftacha unfolding to have an Uma and to have Eretz Yisrael. And that she felt Avram Ravina, this is a reason talking, this is not a conservative rabbi, that that um, um, that, that she felt Avram Ravina was biased and would not give her a heter for what she was seeking. And what was she seeking? She was seeking a heter to abort her child. And she felt that she could get the heter to drink a kos shelly korin. She could drink that potion. Wow. And who is this from? I think it's the Paneach Raz or the Bechor Shvor, one of the two. Wow. One, of, one of those. Um, I'll have to look it up and I'll tell you later. I'll email you. But um, so, so therefore, he felt Amravina would not give her the heter. So she went to Shem ben Noach to get the heter. But then Shem ben Noach had the nevuah. This, this is Shnei going b'vitnech. This is not. This is wow. not an impaired wow. child, but this is the unfolding of a novel. So I, I brought the raya. I actually sent this to Avasha Weiss, who was one of the disputants in the basin, um, and uh, he, he thought it was a, a, quite an interesting raya from a reason that it would be, in fact, within the woman's right to exercise that heter. Again, that's just uh, it's an exciting point. It, it's, it's, uh, I, I like to share that one. No, but, but 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 it's also halachic hashel where the woman wants an abortion and the husband doesn't. Who's, Correct. Who's, where she halachically has a right to. Right. Do you do you come across the following shaila uh, much? Where people, let's say, a, a woman who's um, pregnant with a, with a, uh, was an incest, or was a rape, whatever the case is, and she wants to abort the child, and because of mental anguish. Yeah. Do you have do you do you have is that like a mental health shiloh that you ever have to come that you've come across? Yes, this is a shiloh that's come up unfortunately a number of times. Uh, I will tell you. Um, I remember this. I got a call from the head of the seminary in Israel, and he um, had a woman in the seminary who twice 
had become pregnant, and both times she had been given a head to, to abort very early on because she was a single young woman, and then she became pregnant a third time. Jeez. So the, the head of the seminary went to her Shlomo Zalman. And they didn't throw her out of the seminary. What type of seminary was this? Yeah, it was a pretty good one. But they went but, to her Shlomo but did, Zalman. It was a pretty good seminary, and they had girls getting pregnant and aborting multiple times, and the girl was still in the seminary. Yeah, but but this, this is she all had, She must have had a very wealthy father. <laughs> no comment. That's okay. the identity. But, but uh, they, they said they went to her Shlomo Zalman, and then they went... Um, they went to someone else who said, you should speak to a mental health professional. So I was selected because this person knew me, and we spoke at length on the phone. And based on what he described, just listening to the history, listening to a lot of different actors, I said that based on how this was being presented to me, I did not think she should abort the child, um, that it was feeding into her recklessness, her irresponsibility, into other things, and it was really becoming a zilzal on her part. There are a number of other factors. Slime Zalman, who, who I knew pretty well, was very opposed to abortion and very opposed to the hector of, uh, of the uh, Tzitzeliezer in general, even in much more serious situations. Well, well one, once I, I explained to this uh, head of the seminary my, my, my reasoning clinically um, about the welfare of the woman in sort of a hashkafic framework also, he then said that that's exactly what Osama Zaman had said, that she should carry the baby and not abort it, and she did. Rabbi Fox, leave us with one last Shaila, and then we're going to let you go. So, so one, one that's come up a lot has to do with obsessive-compulsive disorder and use of the mikvah. Uh, and in fact, um, at the request of a number of organizations, uh, a number of years ago, I uh, developed uh, a checklist questionnaire for mikvah attendants to use when either a woman comes in who has severe OCD and can literally spend the night at the mikvah, having to re-shower and re-bathe, and, um, or sometimes where the husband is the one with the severe obsessive-compulsive disorder, and when the woman, the wife, comes back from the mikvah, he sends her because he's musubic, he's in doubt about something. So you have situations where either the wife or the husband or both are tormented because of the psychiatric disorder, and um, just to borrow the expression in, in our Vipsachim, that anini hadas chayehem enem chayim, that that they they can't, they're not living in a way that's uh, that's comfortable. That life is intolerable for them. So I actually have this checklist, which is now being used, so that um, the husband and the wife will sign that the the uh, whoever's the, the rav who passes for the mikvah that on his say so, if the tefillah was good, then they will both accept it. But it's an interesting qu- uh, questionnaire, uh, and I can send it uh, uh, if you'd like. But uh, here I had a situation uh, some time ago where a wife had very severe obsessive compulsive disorder, and it was the, the particular form was that she couldn't walk through a doorway. She couldn't cross a threshold unless she danced in and out 17 times. She'd have to step in and step out and step in and step out. What? What's the logic for that? Well, there's 
we, we can't really find uh, rational logic for why a person has that particular obsession or that compulsive behavior. But unless she did that, she'd be in a frenzy. So that that's sort of her self-soothing compulsive behavior. But it would take her 45 minutes to walk across the house because she had to go through various uh, doorways. And and he, uh, I'm just curious, uh, Zach, and he married her? Uh, it, it, its onset was before the marriage, but its severity flourished over the course of the marriage. They'd been married a couple of years. They had no children. And um, another thing was that one of the demands she placed on him was that he had to, uh, upon showering um, nightly, he would have to wrap his body in ace bandages, and they had to be white, not the cream-colored ace bandages. So from, from ankle to neck, he had to wrap himself up. So he looked like a mummy because she felt if he touched anything upon leaving the shower, that was matame him. And, and he stayed um, married? I mean, he stayed married? It, it just sounds so so bizarre, I mean. It, it, well, they, they, he, he cared deeply about her, and she cared deeply about him. They had been... Uh, a very loving couple, but as her disorder developed and as it became more demanding and restrictive on him and on their lifestyle, he felt she needed treatment. Now, this was in the days when we didn't have a lot of good uh, pharmacological treatment for OCD Barchus, and now we have some, some good choices, but they, they went to psychiatrists and a psychologist all of whom said that her, her disorder could not be treated, it would not reverse. And um, he then went to uh, an Avdeistin who said, uh, none of the three you went to were from, you need to go to someone who's from and knows Halacha. And then on the basis of that, then you can decide whether or not to get divorced. Um, and and that, um, that was the, the question I was asked to do an evaluation that... Um, her disorder was such it was uh, tormenting her, but there was nothing she could do despite therapy. There was nothing she could do to control that compulsion, and uh, it was getting worse and more demanding. And you know, he, he, they tried couples therapy. They tried uh, many, many inroads to try building the level of affection and respect they had for each other. But the way OCD works is... You know, there's a Rashi in not the more Nazir. It says, "Ein lecha choli gadola mizu." That's a lashon about a person who becomes fanatically engrossed. We have the Tosefta that's brought in in Psachim uh, around Atzadi that, that speaks about not selling a korban Pesach to a chabur that's made up solely of people who've recently become religious because they're bound to find a moment that meaning they're they're so extremely compulsive in their behavior and obsession on their thinking that they can't tolerate that anything can go smoothly. So you have wrinkled throughout the Gomorrah, you have cases of people who seem to have that very, very difficult disorder. It's not something new. We've known about it. So, so they got divorced ultimately, I take it. Well, um, what happened was a, a Hasidus Rebbe came into their town and uh, gave her a segula. He gave her... Um, a dollar bill, which he tore in half, and he said, you hold one half, and I'll hold one half. And he said, you're going to start saying these kibitl tellim, and after three days, you're going to feel better. And after one week, um, 
the disorder is going to be gone completely. And after two weeks, you will forget that you ever had the disorder. And the husband called the, the obvious and said, should I do it? So the obvious said, call me. And I said, absolutely do it. If it, if it can bring Hatsala Porta, if it can bring a little relief, absolutely do it. And he did it, and the condition got worse. In other words, she developed now new obsessions. Um, and uh, they, they went back to this person, this, this rabbi, whoever he was, and uh, they said, it's gotten worse. And he said, uh, did you speak to any, uh, any therapist? So they said, yes. So he said, that's why it got worse, meaning the segula can't work if you've also gone to a therapist. Anyway, uh, yes, unfortunately, uh, they, they did, they did uh, end up getting divorced, I was told. And then uh, subsequently, the wife died. It's very possible that part of her um, a severe obsessive-compulsive disorder was because they found she had a brain tumor. And it's very possible that this had something to do with the, the, the severe rigidity of her personality and how it was showing up in more and more compulsive behavior. And we'll never know. It was a tragic, tragic end. But it's an example of um, you know, a, a, mental, a mental condition. It doesn't necessarily make a person into a shota, but it can incapacitate them. And you need a compassionate, well-trained posik to guide someone. You need a competent clinician. I believe someone, as Moshe says in this tshuva, someone who has Yerushimayim, um, who, who will be sensitive to all of the issues and will not make snap judgments and will not be, no pun, but not be judgmental. Um, and w when, when parents see children who are in distress, it doesn't always mean that their disorder is going to be severe. But we, we are sensitive and we do recognize that if halachic questions should arise as, as I said, a, a byproduct of that depression or that trauma or that anxiety or that bipolar disorder, um, that increasingly... Uh, we do have the Rabin and Shleiman. We have great, great competent postgame who more and more are seeking consultation to understand what we're dealing with. Um, a a postic won't postgame about eating on Yom Kippur with a diabetic unless they know more fully what is that diabetic's condition and how will not eating affect them. So just as an example, I think more and more we're beginning to recognize, Baruch Hashem, that the whole realm of mental health and behavioral health needs also to have that sensitive study so that we know what we're dealing with and so that we can, uh, we can render appropriate solutions, halachic solutions. Rabbi Fox, this is fascinating. Thank you very much. My honor. Really, thank you. Nice to talk with you again. Thank you for turning to me. And vimatzlich and all that you do. And simcha holech misofa olamat sofo. We all rave about you. Amen. Thank you so much. Kol tov Joining us from Lakewood is Rav Moshe Rothberg. He's a Rav, a Paisic, and a therapist. Welcome, Rav Moshe. Hi. Pleasure to be on. So, Rav Moshe, the first question is, I think the overriding question is, a guy comes to a therapist and he has so much lush and horror about his spouse, his mother, etc. You know, they say a story, they say these three Jewish women are speaking. So one says to the other, you know, my son is such a wonderful son. Every year for my birthday, he buys me a new car. And the other one says, my son, every year for my birthday, he sends me on an exotic trip. And the third one says, my son, every week he pays somebody $350 just to talk about me. <laughs> right? 
so, might be true. Yeah, so my point is is that um, if the talking is, is a, a, a very substantial part of the therapy, I mean, like Freud famously called it the, 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 talking, ther- the talking cure. So what about Lush and Hara? I mean, every time you, uh, somebody comes in, they have to check, does it line up with the, it's the Shola Tayelis, you would imagine, does it line up with the, with the, with the seven Tznoyim of the, of the Chafetz Chaim, the Chulu? How, how do therapists deal with that? Right. So, um, I, you know, that's a great question, but I think even more than that is that I think it's important to note that that assumption that everything is Latayelis, I think that's not an assumption that somebody could make just because I'm in a therapy room that everything is Latayelis. So without a doubt, if we were to tell the person that who's struggling with whatever it is, whatever their struggles are, that it's flush and horror, so don't talk about it. I mean, clearly that, that most, of, most of the times it would be Latayelis, but sometimes we actually lose that sensitivity and, and certain things we should be a little bit more careful with. But having said that, what's interesting, you just mentioned the Tanoim of the of the of time, and I, I find that a lot of times therapy should be, you know, that, that if in gold standard therapy, a lot of the tenayim of the Chavetz Chaim is actually done when somebody's coming with Lush and Haram. So, in other words, we always focus on what is the value of this? How is this important to me? You know, why is this a why the tailus of this? You know, in, in DBT, one of the big skills is to accurately report what's going on, not to be megazen. So that's actually the time of the of the chavetz chaim. Also, you know, the, the, one of the things of chavetz chaim is that you try other options. That's another thing in therapy which is which is done. Another thing we just try to get the accurate truth, not trying to speculate or what I assume or you know the the the, the, the cognitive you know all, all the all the different dissonance which comes up, which is so much of what the chavetz chaim talks about is actually what therapy is involved in. So I asked Reb Chaim Kanievsky and Zatzal, um, and I asked him this question, and it was interesting. He, he gave me a look, and then he smiled and said, "You know, somebody." And I asked him, that, "You know, someone who's saying you know bad things about his parent, Shal Kibbutz Avayim, Shal Loshin Hara." So he said, "He says, how Vikim is and How could you fix this person if you don't allow him to speak?" So he said, "It'd be mutter if there's a if there's a the end goal is to be able to change either what, the distortions or to be able to work it through that he's not in so much pain that there's not so much anger and animosity." So I I really believe that you know just because someone's in a therapy room, a lot of times the therapy itself is going to be working towards the the, the time of the of the chavetz chaim. And it's not. Not. You have, hello, let's say they're not. They don't have all the time. Let's say right. You know, what one of the time is is did you speak to that person first? Did you tell your mother first how much you hate her or what she does that gets you? Mad, et cetera, et cetera. I, usually, the answer to that is going to be no. Right, but but you know, but part of the therapy is let, let's try to go through those those steps. A lot of times, it will line up. But the answer is that even if not, you know, the Chaim held that being that the only way someone is going to get past, you know, either the pain of it or to be able to eventually make peace with it or to resolve it is by having these discussions, even if it does not meet it, and you would be you would be allowed to do it. So that was actually something which I which I asked personally. But 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 did I, he bring, I, I did, did he bring them a car or a raya or anything? No. He did not. He did not bring him a koraya. Actually, tried to, I, I asked him about is it because it goes because you can work it throughout the time of the chavetz chaim, and he just repeated his answer again. So let me so, tell you. Let me let me take a stab at it. Okay. Mm-hmm. The the chavetz chaim in Klalvov talks about somebody who is listening to lashon hara a lot of it from a very angry person. Chavetz chaim says, if you know that that person will get it will make him feel better. And if you don't, you know, it could have, who knows, maybe he'll go tell a bunch of other people, etc. She says, you're allowed to do it. Right. And, and right. my understanding is, my understanding of the Chafetz Chaim is, and he doesn't bring the seven Tznayim, etc., that the, the, you know, the Chafetz of Lashon Hara is a gossiper, or a, a Heilich Rachel, right? Somebody who's going to, as part of a medical, as part of a curative therapy, it's just not Lashon Hara. It's something else. 
Correct. It's medical. Right, and that's why, and that's why so, I told you. That's so, it wouldn't need, so, it, so it wouldn't need the seven snarim. That's how I understand the Havitz Chaim. No, so, sure. So, so it's in Klava of this Yisai that he brings. And I, there are things that just not lush in hara, you know? Two people are chopping stone. One is because he's in prison and they said, go chop that mountain or else. And the other one is building uh, the base Hamigdash when he's chopping. They're doing two different things. It looks like the same thing. They're doing two different things, right? One guy's talking to a doctor and one guy's a Heilich Rachel. One guy's a... That's how I would understand what Reb Chaim is saying based on this. A hundred percent. And I'm pretty sure that he, that he meant exactly that from the Chavit yeah. Chaim. But I, what my point is that sometimes people think because I'm in a therapy room, so therefore it's all fair game. And I just happen to tell, oh, you mentioned a name. Oh, you know what happened with that person. I think sometimes people, again, it's very hard to stop it because of the therapeutic process, which takes a lot of skill okay. sometimes to be able to, you know, lean it away. So let me ask you a question. A woman's in a nursing home. And she's struggling, you know, with loneliness, severe loneliness. And a way to help her is to her children to be on Zoom with her on Shabbos. You're a rav, a Pisces, and a therapist. What would you say? So, I mean, it's, it's obviously a very loaded question. You know, during, during the, 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 when the COVID pandemic was, was extremely active, there's nothing to talk about that. The loneliness and the fear led into people... Um, led into very, very bad. There was one particular patient, a young woman, who the doctor told me that because she had so much anxiety and he couldn't get it under control, she was hyperventilating, which definitely exacerbated things. So when we talk about, you know, there's certain scenarios in extreme and acute situations, certainly there's nothing to talk about. We just had this, um, you know, I've had this all the time where, where, where that, that would be mutter, um, especially when we just keep it on. And they, they, they're, it's continuous, you know, I don't record, not really recording, but it's, it's, it's activated and it's continuously done. Certainly that in many cases that, that, that would be allowed. But I see it, you know, it's certainly a, a, um, Chaylesha Inbert Sakhanov for sure. And even, you know, and it's a Chaylesha Gufa, these are, and sometimes it's very often it's a Chaylesha Yeshbert Sakhanov. And for Yisuvi Das, you know, even though the Bir Allah is not crazy about people doing their rices for, for, um, Yisuvi Das and the Chaylesha Yeshbert Sakhanov, but this would not be a Bir Raisa by Kuntamalspaiskin. So I think that would be that would be something which which and under certain circumstances would certainly be mutter or even encouraged. I mean, the, 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 the Gemara seems to say that isuve deity is even by the rice. At least according to the way Rambam learns the Gemara, because right. because the kibuyaner Rambam holds by Mlachashenis Shrichalagufa is a deraisa, and yet kibuyaner he holds is mutter. What's interesting about that, you're right, and what's interesting about that is two things. First of all, there's a question by the Yeladis. It says by Yeladis, you're allowed to be Mavik Melisaner. So the question is that, is that a specific halacha for Yisuvidas of the Yeladis, or is that a course of board by every Chalashiyash by Sakharam? What's interesting also, what you mentioned that the Rambam, the Rambam over there holds the Kibayaner, is potentially erected for melancholy, which seems to be a depression. It wasn't like a Ruach Ra, like there was some Didik or some shade that was uh, you know, possessed him. It actually seems like it was depression. And one of the riots they want to bring is, is, is one of the questions the place can talk about is that if it's not a chavishiyesh by sakana and that that's assumption in the Rambam, then 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 it, it would seem that Yisuvidas even even for that would be would be motor. So so yes, that's certainly a marmalkum on this topic. So 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 again, so you have a person um, who wants to use Zoom. So clearly, if it's a chavishiyesh by sakana, there's no shaila. It's a chayla that. You can't say it's yesh by sakana, but it's definitely not for lamita. And they come to you, they say, could we use Zoom? What would you say, leave it on before Shabbos? Or you would say use the Zoom. So um, if it's a chalisha aim by sakana, I would, I, would, I would tell them to leave it on before Shabbos. And, um, you know, one of, one of the, the, the struggles with that also is, there also is a slippery slope effect as well, which is not necessarily halacha, but more of, uh, you know, they, they, that also has to be considered as well.
But but certainly, if it was a chayv sheish b'sakana, then be then then I would have no issue at all. If it was a chayv sheish b'sakana, I would encourage it to be on beforehand. They don't have to get involved with shalts with the chazanish, with electricity, with anything like that. And I think that would be. You know, I think where it gets even more complicated is it's like you know that's only in a hospital. What about someone who's just feeling depressed? Are they allowed to call a therapist on Shabbos? You know, so it it it, it, it does turn into a bit of a slippery slope. And are they allowed to turn call the therapist? And is the therapist allowed to carry around the phone like a doctor for that reason? You know, somebody's a therapist and they have a lot of clients or a number of clients who are, you know, who suffer from depression, right? And I'm not talking about bad moods. I'm talking about, let's say, more manic depressive. And I'm not, a, I'm not, I want to give a, you know, I don't know the exact titles, but more of serious depression. Is the therapist allowed to carry around the phone on Shabbos, answer the phone? And is that person allowed to use the phone? Right. So, it, you know, and every, it's, every therapist needs to know their clientele. And I think that the answer really is there are many, many therapists who in their lives, they will never meet somebody who is truly, um, you know, a, a danger to themselves where calling their therapist will actually um, will, will play a role in their lives. There are many therapists that will never happen. And certain, and certain therapists, they'll have the bulk of their, their clients are like that. Now, sometimes if it's a double hamatri that, that, that their clients are trying to get through to them and they're not getting through to them, if that's what, and what's called Avramatsu is another whole conversation. But it wouldn't be any different than a Tzala member carrying his radio, even though he does he has no idea whether there's a call coming in or not. But if it's a Avramatsu, then 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 he'd be allowed to. But but it's it, it, it's it's so case by case basis. So do you do you their... do you have clients who you feel could have to reach you as an emergency? So I, I have um, in my in my practice no, but I do I you know I, I deal with the the crisis team for Lakewood Atzala as well. So that means if there's any any anywhere in Lakewood, Jackson, Towns River, Breakdown, Howell, Manchester, any of those areas of Chas Shalom, there is so you so you so you would have to carry then a, a, a phone. I mean, I imagine right. there's an area where you live anyway, no? Right. So that's not much of a question. Right. So, so, so it's just I, a child. It's just a child of Mukt, I guess. So it's not a exactly. And I wouldn't when I go out of an area. I, I generally don't, and that's unfortunately it's usually when they tried getting a hold of me. And but I mean, a few times where they, people were driving on Chavez to get a hold of me, that's when I realized that you know I, I, I probably have to rethink that. Tell us some of the we had on Rabbi Fox, Rabbi Dr. Fox, he was telling about, about you know, all the Velt Shilas that the big Besdens get. What are some of the garden variety Shilas that a Rav would get about mental health, you know, Halacha Shilas? And even though they're much more common and less exciting, on the other hand, to our listenership, they're much more Negea than if somebody needs a get and the husband isn't saying whether he can give it or not. I mean, what are the more practical Shilas that many people would come across in their life and they're going to say, thank goodness we heard Rabbi Rutberg on this? So I think, you know, I think there's two or three basic shadows that keep coming up for, for Rabbanah more and more now. So one's like before Yom Kippur now, as far as a fasting, for people struggling with, with, um, with mental disorders or, or mental, you know, or people with eating disorders, things like that. I think that's a very, very prevalent question, which is not necessarily this time of year, is not, is not that in the Gaya. But the, Mish- I, I, the Mishnah Buddha talks about it, right? In Tishabas. Right, so by Tisha, the Mogan Avram brings it down from the Maril. By Tisha and the Prima Dadim says it applies to Yom Kippur as well. But, but that's also very vague. What, is, what does that mean? You know, you, what are the, what, you know the, we don't know. It doesn't say, is it, is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it bipolar? Share with Ireland what the Mishnah Burra says. Yes, I, we, just, we were just more honest to it. Right, so, so the, 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 the Mogan Avram, the, the Mogan Avram is in, in, um, by, in Tishabal, I think it's in Tafkofnon Dalet. I think it's there. He brings from, from the Maril that someone who's Chasadea 
And he used a lot of something like that. So it's So it sounds like there's somebody who's chasadei. Um, what does chasadei mean? I mean that's, that's a little bit unclear. And he's better, but there's a risk of him relapsing. So if he doesn't have bats of the ions, he's allowed to on tishabav. And the prima gadim says the chain will be in kipurim. So. This is this is like opens up a, a, a tremendous you know a, a big question. What, what what does this mean? So if it, it what what it sounds like is that if there's a risk of a, a, you know legitimate risk of relapse, somebody who is doing better and there's a question they're going to relapse and let's say let's just call it someone has a psychotic break for whatever which reason if someone does not eat bus of the iron he's he's risking you know psychosis. Um, then it would sound like that the person should be able to eat onion kipper. Now, who's, now I threw in the word psychosis, which is quite severe. But let's say chatzadeh means severe depression. Maybe, maybe if, if that's what it means, that if a person, because when they're fasting, they get triggered and they could go back to being depressed, you know, maybe, maybe that's what it means. So that, that's the source I think that you're referring to. And it, it really becomes a, a, a very, very difficult question. And, but we use this a lot when it comes to, for example, Rahman al-Islam, people suffering with eating disorders. And if they even want tinnitus, even if they're in recovery, a lot of the experts in the field will say that that could actually relapse. They could relapse as a result of that and cause them to, to um, going back to their eating disorder. So people say, hold on, but it's not, uh, you know, even that's, not, you know, for sure the person's going to die. And, you know, it becomes a, it's a complicated child. So this is one of the marmakindas. Right. Okay. Give us another. Eating disorders, people fasting. Okay. And, and, and for the most part, you say the Mishtibura is makil. Right, so so I guess as a rub would have to be as well. Continue. Give us another shiloh that you would get that would be relevant to a lot of people. I think I get that the bulk of the questions I get from people as a rub is the two questions. Is number one is a, a, a question of you know therapists calling me about giving information about when it comes to shidduchim. So if let's say a therapist gets a phone call from her sister or his brother about a family, not knowing that it's their client at all, just saying, do you happen to know this in the family from wherever, and it's their client and they know of extreme, you know, certain situations which clearly the caller does not know, are they mechriv to tell them, are they mechriv to risk their license? And that question actually comes up a lot as well. And what do you, how do you pass on that? A therapist is asked a question, let me just frame it, okay? Um, or a doctor. Yeah. Um, about a shidduch, and he knows that the boy or the girl, let's say, cannot have children. You would say, right. on the other hand, if it gets back somehow, the doctor will lose their license, or could lose their license. What do you say to that? So, generally, my approach, you would have to let people know. The way, the way, the way, the approach that which I take is that, you know, the halach of Lissamad al Damriyacha, you know, anytime you're being over love, you have to be able to give up Kol Memoinai. However, there is a sheet in the Achoinim, including Rip Kreger and others, that say that for the love of Lissamad, you're not Mokhri to give up more than Achoinish. Now, if you think about it, every time that solar radio goes off and there's a call, potentially, it might be a Sakonis the patient not feeling well. Okay, I don't know what not feeling well means. How many times did our fellow members come there and the patient not feeling well, the person ended up having a heart attack. And so imagine what, you know, our fellow member can make himself neurotic, lose his job, lose his family, lose everything, because every time a call goes out, he should be mechiv to run and, and take the call. So the answer, you know, the, 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 the mahalach to take, which I assume, and that's if anyone has any other, any anything else I'd love to hear, it, the, way I, the mahalach I usually take is that with Samoid, according to those achreinim, that you don't have to give more than a chaymish memoinai for um, for any love, which is b'shev al-tasset, when it says that you have to give kol memoinai, that's when I'm actually 
actually actively being over a love. But if I'm just passively being over a love, then it's not more than a chaymish. So to ask someone to give up their parnasa, um, then then they're not mechuyiv to do that because chances are if somebody does, they deserve to lose their license because nobody nobody should ever go to a doctor or therapist and not not have their privacy respected and they would lose their license. So be yoytzer so they would not 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 be mechuyiv to do that. I heard another sorrow which I I can't you know again. The Nitziv says this far too. Yes, the Nitziv. There's actually a very interesting. The Belzer Rebbe, I know that by um, during during the war, said that person was mechuyiv to give kol emoinoi because it's because they sam adam riyacha and the chavetz chaim as well. So even though there's been chaimish, if there's actively someone's at risk, then you have to give kol emoinoi. But if not, then they would hold it just till a chaimish. So, so that you know, I think that's something which which therapists need to hold hold on to. And it's not interesting thought. I mean, tell me what you think about it. People want to use the sort of If doctors and therapists would start giving out all the information about their patients if somebody is, then who in the world would go to a doctor or therapist and get any help? It's an interesting thing to, to think about. I mean, it's, uh, you know, certainly people would be very, very hesitant. Very interesting. So you're saying it's, it would actually, we have to look at it sort of like public policy. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I had there was a, you know it was the same story you say about Hatzalah. The reason why they're allowed to go back is because if you wouldn't let them go back, nobody would go in the first place. Exactly. And exactly. we have to look at, at public policy. You see on the macro level, yeah. You see in halacha, number many times. I don't know if we ever discussed this. The Marshal the Gemara at the end of Ben Sira says that if somebody says um, he's going to die if he can't talk to an isha, right? Right. Outside the fence, yeah. Yeah. So the Gemara says you can't. Why? It's just, we, we can't do it. Even if somebody's going to die, it's a matter of public policy. We can't have somebody saying, if, I, if some, that girl doesn't talk to me, I'm going to die. I say, go die. We can't. It's just, it just doesn't work. Exactly. It's a very interesting story. Yeah. yeah, and it, it, it's also you know it's one of the things that you have to think about also is that it's across the board because I think you put up I was thinking about a therapist but you're right as far as a doctor I had a case once where somebody called me on the phone and remember we were sitting in in the base magistrate and I'm like okay I don't have to answer the phone he called me three times in a row I pick up the phone and he's screaming on top of his lungs that what's the matter and he tells me that this relative of mine just attempted suicide so I asked him why like my friend what do you want from me I'm five miles away and, and I'm not I'm not I'm not outside member. And he yelled at me, I, I'm 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 he's just screaming, I'm not calling Atsala, come here right now. And I, I I ran over there. This person was unconscious, really, really in bad shape. It was a real attempt and um I looked at him, I said, What is going on here? And without even thinking he said, None of my kids are gonna get married. He said, I, I won't be able to any shidduchim if, if word gets out about this. He said, I'm not going to call them. Now think about it. In, in after it, he was telling me, think about the insanity of what it is. But if people have a fear, even though there's somebody, Rahman al-Latan just had a real, real true suicide attempt, it was like, I'm not, it wasn't even a thought to call Hatzalah, which by the way, Hatzalah changed the policy after that story. When I sat with the guy, and said, listen, we have a problem. And they do not give out addresses over, over the air. I think so, we have some insight as to why this kid tried to kill, commit suicide with such a parent's attitude, by the way. He won't. He didn't call an ambulance because he's worried about Shadduchim for the rest of the day. I'm not justifying the action that one bit, and neither yeah. was he after the fact. You know, after the fact, he, he realized yeah. how ridiculous it was. But I think, you know, so I think that's an interesting story. We got to the Shiloh as well.
Give us another shayla that you get. I think I think another shayla which which is which is interesting is, is the whole shayla of snake either, and this is something which is such a slippery slope. I find you know it, it's a shayla in therapy. It's a shayla which I get answers about very often from therapists, from people who are helping people. If you think about it, you know, imagine you know you, you, a therapist that is doing therapy either with a couple that that halachically should not be married, or somebody that wants help to do a divorce, uh, suggesting to a uh, let's say even a woman to have an abortion where she's, you know, where she really is desperate to build up her courage to do it and she's coming for help, please help me build up this courage where halakhically she wouldn't be allowed to. I got this question a few weeks ago, a therapist calls me up. My client is, 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 you know, wants to go through with this abortion and she wants me to help her get through the guilt of it. She says, but he says, I'm not helping her get through the guilt of it because this is, this is, it's, you know, I, I, it's obvious. So what do I do? Um, you know, therapists that suggest to, to women to, to go or, 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 you know, to some woman who's, you know, go get a restraining order where, let's say it was against Halakha or tell some man, go to court, don't bother with Besden, you know, or, or that's what they want to do. These types of things, there's a lot of shallots and this naive that, that, that comes up as well. Now, sometimes... But, but, but Robert, 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 these are more therapists, Shilas. I'm, I'm, I'm simply more curious for the... Um, for the uh, oh, right. For the, for the, yeah, for like, not, not for, for the regular people, not for just, therapists are a small minority of us. You want to know, uh, uh, rub the shouts that are going to get a bath therapy? And, and that, and that it, it, people would get, and parents would get, uh, children would get. I mean, what we would cut, you said eating on Yom Kippur, very good. We talk about Zoom for people who are stressed. You know, what, what, what's the gay at us? What would somebody going to listen and say, oh, I heard that from Rabbi Rothberg 10 years ago in Baruch Hashem, in this situation, it helped me. So I, I, I think, you know, with regards to um, what, what comes up very, very often is regarding to OCD with um, the, the shouts that come up with OCD and understanding a mahalach with that. There's so many young people today suffering with it, with Yiddishkeit, when it comes to religious OCDs and, and things like that. It's it, it, all of these, not a big measures you can go into that there's not somebody suffering from it. And I think that's something which people really, really need to understand a lot better because I think we're hurting a lot of young people and older people also, but by not understanding the nature of that and, and halakha's position on it. And, and, and is it common OCD? OCD is 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 so common. Not not you know, Doctor Doctor Abraham J. Torsi, I was talking to him once and he asked me, How many how many O C D clients, you know, do you see? And I told him, I said I was thinking, I said, I don't know, probably about seven. He says, you know, only seven? I said I said, Yeah, I said that's forty clients, seven. He says, you know, in your life. I said, In my life. I said, I don't know, hundreds. So he tells me, Do you know when I was in medical school, I took a bus, I think he said to Long Island Jewish, to go see I heard there was a kid there with severe OCD, and we wanted to see it. That's how uncommon it was. So I asked him, are we overdiagnosing? Like, that, that doesn't really make that much sense. And he says, I know. He says, possibly we're underdiagnosing. He said, but clearly it's, it's, it's rampant a lot more than it ever was. So I, I don't think that's uh, – I, I, I don't think for a second that people realize just how much it is. It is all over. Give us one example. We're running out of time of where we would see OCD, a parent or a friend, and not recognize it. Where you have sometimes some Erlicha Bacher that is doing Stein Mikra, and it's three hours later, and he's still there, and he's, he's, he's just spending so much time and so much energy on it. You see that fear in him. Or he's saying Shema again and again because he can't get that word right. And people just think, oh, he's just okay. being... He's just Give being us another one. From, Give us another one. Um, with with um, bathrooms. Yeah. The bathrooms are awful. There are people sometimes they're stuck in the bathrooms for 
forever, constantly running to the bathroom to make sure they're having a gusnaki, to make sure that, um, you know, that they were, that, that they wipe themselves and there's no shyness whatsoever with tefillah. And sometimes people don't pick up on it because in the beginning they think it's just someone being airlock or someone just being super from or just nervous and they don't realize that sometimes this is really pathological, this is OCD. Yeah. Give us one more shyla you get and we can let you go. I think another another common thing which 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 comes up also it's me Indian Indian is um, with, with with people that um, when they get married and uh, uh, you know a woman or had a certain certain hug him and the husband they get married and all of a sudden there's a new meeting and it's really troublesome to the woman either because it's like you know my husband's being so mako and 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 or or if I care my my husband is being so machmer and I'm not used to this. And it could really, really, it, it's something which sometimes, you know, men will take this very personally, or there's halakha, you have to follow my minute, your minute. And I think that's something also which um, which could come up, which plays into a lot of, you know, when people that struggle with OCD, it, it's, this is also a much bigger issue because, like, all of a sudden now I'm changing things and I'm so used to my, my habit. But even people that have OCD, this is sometimes, you know, it could be, it could be a very difficult question which comes up as well. Rabbi Rothberg, thank you very much. It's always fascinating talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you. Kol tov. Bye-bye.